The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, you're watching Squawk Box with Karen Cher, myself, Steve Sedgwick in London and Jeff Cutmore in Geneva. These are your headlines. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, suffering its worst two-day points loss in history. As $1.7 trillion is wiped off U.S. stocks after the coronavirus outbreak expands across Europe and U.S. health officials warn of the potential spread stateside. Investors seek cover in safe havens as virus fears push the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield to an all-time low. Stocks across Asia extend the sell-off as Australian shares drop more than 2%, while U.S. futures attempt to bounce after Wall Street's massive slide. A fairy tale ending after years of speculation. Disney CEO Bob Iger will step down and become executive chairman with the head of parks, Bob Chapek, taking the chief job effective immediately. And good morning, everybody. As Steve says, I'm here in Geneva, set to talk to the CEO of Alcon, the eye care company, as they deliver a positive uh, forecast for their 2020 earnings and an upgrade on the margin target. We will talk about that with the CEO and, of course, a host of other CEOs and CFOs still to come on Squawk Box. The Dow has suffered its worst two-day point loss in history after another set of deep declines on Wall Street. The loss has wiped $1.7 trillion off the S&P, according to S&P Dow Jones indices. Now, fears over the spread of coronavirus intensified, with fresh cases emerging across Europe in Austria, Switzerland and Spain. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control has begun warning Americans to begin preparing for a possible community spread of the infection. Well, look, let's just take a look at the numbers as well. But I just wanted to say one thing to our viewers out there as well. Clearly, there is no doubt, as Karen was just saying, the coronavirus is the catalyst for the sell-off. But let me just uh, hypothetically ask you a question. Could we have seen such a sell-off, or perhaps not of the same swiftness, but could we have seen such a sell-off based on other factors? And I think you could construct a dialogue if you were looking to do so, to say markets potentially were ripe to sell-off. I'm not saying we said this beforehand. I'm saying you could construct a dialogue uh, and that there were valuation issues. There were concerns about the US economy, Chinese economy, European, about Brexit, about interest rates. So you could have constructed a dialogue where you see markets come off Uh, from their recent highs. But of course, and there's no doubt about it, the coronavirus fears, and it's the fears of the economic impact rather than the actual economic impact at the moment, which is driving these markets low and driving very swift moves as well. And it's the lack of liquidity, the lack of two-way trade, which is adding to that. You saw what the US markets tried to do yesterday. They tried in the futures, and we talked about the futures. We'll continue to do so in the show uh, as an indicator of where the market's going. But you'll notice the caveat we gave you yesterday, and that is the futures are illiquid. You do not see the same liquidity at this stage of the day 
say, what is it, you know, many hours before the US indices open. But they tried to rally and ignominiously failed with every single sector in the US falling aggressively yesterday. We've talked about some very big numbers. We'll carry on giving you, safe to say, the four-day fall from peak to trough on the US indices and on global indices has taken trillions and trillions of dollars off valuations. The Dow lost 3.2% in total. Uh, Big stocks moving and really affecting. Uh, Boeing took 93 points off the Dow. United Health took 98 points. Let's have a look at the treasuries as well. The inverse trade, i.e. where you are buying. And it seems almost extraordinary to say so because I remember not so long ago, you and I, the viewer and Karen and Jeff and everyone talking about 3% plus yields on the 10-year treasury. Now we are down to record lows in the region of 1.36% yield. That is extraordinary as well. Uh, US 30-year paper, again, significantly below the 1.9% level we were talking about yesterday, 1.837 as well. I'm just going to show you one or two sectors as well. People have concerns about levels of economic activity, of course, as well. The US banks is one sector. Yesterday we focused, didn't we, on semiconductors. So we'll have a look at technology in a minute, but I just want to show you the banks first of all. Banks which are very well rated. Now, you've got to remember, European banks have, there isn't a mean price to book, but it's somewhere between 0.4 and 0.8. In the US, it's somewhere between 1.2 and 1.6 as well, price to book, the key measure. But Bank of America down 5%. JP Morgan, which had a terrific return on equity figure last time around, down 4.5%. So looking backwards, the companies are still in fine fettle looking forward. Concerns about economic activity. If the same kind of uh, seclusion rules and quarantining and contagion measures were used in Europe and the US as has been used in areas such as China as well, that is what people are extrapolating for the lack of economic activity. And that is why City, amongst others, down 4.3%. Quick look at the technology stocks for you. I will move a little bit quicker now as well. Uh, Apple down 3.4%. Alphabet down 2.3%. I will show you in fact, I won't show you anything because it's Karen's turn. Thank you. I'll pick up a correlation from tech to energy is that both now in correction territory, which is not uh, what we expected to be probably saying at this point. Technology on a very strong run, even as coronavirus fears have persisted, not the case. Now, energy is where you've seen the pain point felt straight up and right throughout the past couple of weeks as we've seen more and more cases and the spread of the virus. There's been uh, some weakness in this trade, but also hopes that there may be measures from OPEC Plus. And that's certainly coming to the mix today. Look at that handle on WTI. We had cracked below that support level of 50 before some short covering started to re-emerge back in the commodity trade. And what you've had, some concerns that uh, maybe we've gone too short, that investors have pushed this trade too low at this point. And uh, Libya production in that country, which has been reduced, that's been eyed by market watchers. Also, our measures from OPEC Plus to again stabilize the price. So that's just prompted a little bit of buying, which is why you're seeing green, a bit of movement to the upside. Let me take you elsewhere to uh, some of the other trades, the safe havens. Uh, look at gold, 1643. It's been noted that we found support at 1632. So there may be another upward push for the bullion trade, half of a percent in the green, the extent of the bounce. And again, yesterday we're talking that correlation as you start to see those U.S. yields move lower, yields, uh, obviously, when you look at gold, there's no yield. So you start to close the gap between a yield you may achieve in one component of the market, so an asset class being U.S. Treasuries and another asset class being gold. So the appeal of gold starts to improve the more that yield falls. In terms of what you've got across on foreign exchange markets, dollar is still king. You can see that 110 handle that we've got on dollar versus the Japanese yen also making gains versus the euro 
holding around the 1087 level this morning. And we just had a look at the Treasuries, uh, the all-time lows that we've got on Treasuries. Just extraordinary. That money that's come out of world indices, $3 trillion in four sessions going somewhere. It's been going into the safe havens. I want to show you the opening calls. Money also whipped out of the European markets yesterday. Particularly if you take a look at the core markets, the FTSE was down 1.9%, the DAX down similar amount, and uh, the CAC, the French market, in a similar range. And if you weigh up just those three indices over the course of the month, it's now the FTSE that tallies up with some very strong losses, 3.6% south versus, say, the German stock market that's been down 1.5%. And certainly another rough session played out this morning. And that's in contrast to how we were setting up before the start, where we thought we might see green, a little bit of a, a knee-jerk bounce to the upside to recover some of the the losses from a day earlier, but uh, it didn't hold. And you can see more selling took place yesterday. Again, red marching onto the charts for the opening calls this morning. Let's take a look at the lead we're getting from those Asian markets and get out to Matthew Taylor for a little bit more. Matt. Hi there, Karen. Good morning to you. Things don't actually look that bad for the Asia-Pacific markets. Yes, we are seeing weakness following another 3% decline uh, for the Dow overnight. The worst performer is the Australian market, down by about 2.3%. But across North Asia, we are seeing the declines a little bit more muted. We are seeing declines, but less than 1% for Japan and South Korea. We, of course, continue to see the yen strengthening right around that 110 level. So that is also pressuring the Japanese market. But let's show you China markets because Shanghai uh, is in positive territory only just want to tell you about what's going on in Hong Kong. The market, they're down by about three quarters of 1%. The Hong Kong budget unveiled earlier today where we saw 120 billion Hong Kong dollars or about 15 billion dollars are worth, 15 billion US dollars worth of stimulus handed out. Cash handouts of about 1,200 US dollars. Will it be enough to kickstart the economy there? The market certainly doesn't think so. The Hang Seng down by about three quarters of 1%. Guys, back to you. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right. And of course, um, looking back at numbers from materials companies is almost ugh, silly word immaterial now. But looking forward at their expectations for demand is beyond key. It always is important, but now is even key for the likes of Rio Tinto. Yeah, numbers just crossing this morning. So uh, let's just uh, dive into that. I've got the press release actually coming through. They have said they've delivered a strong set of financial numbers, EBITDA of 21.2 uh, billion, I should say, underlying EBITDA margin of 47%, the return on capital deployed of 24%. Uh, they say that's allowed them to return a record final ordinary dividend of 3.7 billion. And don't forget, these have been big cash cows in recent years after a bit of a falter on those payouts a few years back, they then restored a lot of the dividends. So it's been an extraordinary year. Four-year ordinary dividend of $6.2 billion. Total cash returns. Here's it. Total cash returns of $7.2 billion. So it's been fairly extraordinary. They've spoken about a fairly disciplined approach to capital allocation. They invested $2.6 billion in development projects, including iron ore and copper projects. They are going to talk about some resilience. Now, resilience and value over volume strategy means we can invest in our business and deliver superior returns. Still wading through what is a very long press release as they talk about safety expenditure and the numbers and yet to see anything on coronavirus just yet. The market's but, uh, made a bit of a decision a on this one. It, um, oh, no, here we go. Sorry. Got it. Sorry. Closely monitoring the impact of COVID-19 and the virus and they're prepared for some short-term impact. 
Short-term impact may be, but the market has made a, a quite a decision on this stock as well. It has gone from being on the 20th of January up in the past three months, 10%, to now down 7.3%. So in three months, it's lost about 17%. They're trading on a 52-week low, the 52-week high being just shy of £50 sterling, 49.79. Now trading, as you can see on the screen, 39.39.15 as well. So they've, they've seen a big sell-off. What happens next is beyond fascinating for market students such as ourselves. What's this demand side story that's going to be the issue? And whether they're going to get uh, the same level of orders in China, whether there'll be a snapback at this point. When it comes to the earnings, they're pretty much bang on 10.37 billion, the underlying earnings number, the expectation 10.4. And, you know, the cash pile, mm -hmm. the amount of money returned to shareholders, that's certainly a win. But we're going to be talking to a lot of analysts and fund managers today about whether those dividends stack up. If you don't have the same level of earnings coming through, do you start to see some change in the expectations around those dividends too? So the resetting of expectations, I think, uh, is going to be an issue for the rest of 2020. Right. Thank you, Karen. I'm um, speaking to CNBC, the National Economic Council Director, I should say, in the United States, Larry Cudlow, played down worries over coronavirus, saying U.S. officials have control over the spread of infection. We have contained this. I won't say airtight, but pretty close to airtight. We've done a good job in the United States. Hats off to our public health people. And the other generic point, and I hope we'll explore this, Kelly, is simply this. Th this is a human tragedy. There's no question, particularly in China, human tragedy with, you know, thousands of deaths. God, God look over them. Terrible. And that's the worst part of this. The business side and the economic side uh, I don't think it's going to be an economic tragedy. Meantime, the coronavirus outbreak has continued to worsen in Italy with more than 320 cases and 11 deaths reported so far. Multiple EU countries have advised their citizens not to visit the worst affected northern areas of the country. But new cases have already been confirmed in the south too. Italian authorities have opened a probe into skyrocketing online prices for face masks and sanitising gels as people have rushed to protect themselves from the disease. Uh, the European outbreak is spreading beyond the Italian epicentre with five other countries reporting new coronavirus cases involving people who have recently been to Italy. Austria and Spain sealed off two hotels in tourist hubs after an Italian receptionist and guest fell ill. Switzerland has also confirmed its first case. Uh, health ministers from Italy's neighbouring countries met in Rome to discuss the crisis and agreed to keep the borders open for now, although some countries have tightened checks. China is increasing its oil exports as local demand is set to go down nearly 35% in the first quarter. The country's health commission has confirmed a slight slowdown in the coronavirus spread, reporting another 400 infected as well as 52 deaths, and bringing the number of cases in the mainland alone to over 78,000. Um, Alcon has posted a 3% rise in fully in net revenue to $7.4 billion. The figures were led by strong 4% sales growth in their surgical division and steady growth in vision care. I don't know how it happened, but over the last year or so, Jeff suddenly became not only our lead anchor, but also our Swiss correspondent. So our Swiss correspondent joins us now from Geneva, Jeff. 
Yeah, I think it's something to do with the chocolate, Steve. Anyway, uh, it's never a hardship coming to Geneva or to Zurich for that matter. But let's focus on Alcon for a moment then. So the third consecutive year of top-line earnings growth for this business. Little reminder for the audience, it was spun out of Novartis in 2019, got its own listing. So what we're looking at is a company that still has some legacy uh, issues in terms of uh, debt and costs related to patents and intangibles. So you have to bake those into the numbers as you look at them. But I think they'll be comfortable here with the figures they've delivered. In terms of the top-line growth for the fourth quarter, uh, they came in at uh, $1.88 billion. Now, the market was looking for about $1.89. So maybe just a little bit off the pace in terms of that fourth quarter top-line and what that meant in terms of the EPS at 45 cents. 46 was what the market was looking for. But I think um, investors will be encouraged by the fact that they've given a robust forecast on the 2020 outlook. And if I just have a look at some of those numbers, net sales growth expected to be in the 5 to 6% range. What they've given us is 3% here, although there was a big FX headwind for them this year because of the relationship between the dollar and the Swiss franc. Operating margin in at uh, 17 two for full year 2019. They think they can get that up to somewhere between 17.5 and 18.5%. And they're looking for a core EPS of $1.95 at least. That is the bottom end of the range that they're giving us here. We're going to talk to the CEO, David Endicott, a little bit later on in the morning. Um, I think what's going to be key is listening hard to the analyst call just to see what he has to say about how achievable some of these 2020 targets are, particularly in the light of the coronavirus issue that you've been discussing back in the studio and some of the other macro headwinds. And of course, there is always that risk in the United States that we see the government get more involved in healthcare pricing, which may have an impact on Alcon post the election at the end of the year. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But really, it will be interesting to see whether he has anything new, David Endicott, to add in terms of coronavirus, because of course, a big part of this business is in uh, surgery, implantables. And if there is any necessity to uh, suspend uh, procedures because of the overwhelming of healthcare facilities internationally or in the United States, then that would be a material matter for them. But I'll, I'll send it back to you on that. Just a little off the run rate then in terms of the headline figures here, but I think Alcon will be happy that they've shown good momentum year on year, quarter on quarter, and the figures are heading in the right direction. Back to you. Brilliant, Jeff. Thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, as uh, Jeff's been saying, it's a big earnings day and we've got it covered on Scorebox. Uh, here from the top executives of PSA Group, that of course is uh, Peugeot Citroën, uh, Taylor Wimpy in the United Kingdom, Volta's Kluwer, Solvay, and uh, absolutely fascinating listening and talking to uh, what Richard Gustafsson has to say uh, from SAS, Scandinavian Airlines uh, plus Carlyle Group coming up. Well, also coming up, uh, private equity returns versus the bull market trade. A uh, bit of a bear market trade in some ways now, I suppose. Uh, find out which one came out on top after the break when we go live from the world's largest private equity and venture capital forum. Just a reminder, if you can't get enough of Squawkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. All right, we're going to keep 
get rolling these US futures for you. They weren't too reliable for you yesterday because the market just evaporated as we got to the US Open. But at the moment, they're trying to claw a rally, as you can see, out of the carnage of the last two days in the US markets. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Right, welcome back. For the first time in a decade, a major U.S. index has delivered higher returns than private equity firms. Let me just repeat that. A U.S. index has delivered higher returns than P.E. Now, I'm used to saying this about hedge funds, but P.E.? Now, that's according to a report by Bain & Co. Investors in the S&P made returns of 15.5% over the last 10 years to June 2019, while those in private equity made 15.3%. A netter... Um, the great and the good of the PE world gathering in Berlin for super return. It is time to rip down that sign and call it moderately average return, isn't it? <laughs> well, perhaps if you look at the last decade, that was the case. But we had an extraordinary bull run on the public market. One also has to argue. Big question is whether this is like going to happen also in the next 10 years and whether the markets, the public markets don't have reached their peak or at least are close to their peak. But I'm here to discuss that and more with Brenda Rainey, who is Senior Director of Bain and & Company and one of the, um, I think, masterminds behind that report, right? Good Good morning, Brenda. Good morning. Uh, let's talk about the mood here on the ground, because I guess those people coming here to Berlin to the super return are quite a good parameter or quite a good uh, bellwether how the markets actually will be progressing. What's your impression so far? There's a lot of good news still for the private equity industry. Investor enthusiasm for the asset class still remains very strong. Capital continues to pour in. At the same time now, then, it's a very strong fundraising environment and dry powder continues to build up. There's now about $2.5 trillion of capital waiting to be put to work in new deals. The biggest challenge that private equity investors face here now is how to make that happen when the deal markets remain very competitive and prices are at all-time highs. Are people concerned about the macro headwinds? Um, because every year there's another like overruling theme um, where people are like focusing on. What's your impression? Absolutely. There are clouds on the horizon. And you know, at the same time, though, macro is just one type of risk. There are lots of different types of risks that investors care about. And the big topic here in Berlin is this risk of what we call digital disruption. The pace of technological change is accelerating across all industries. It's disrupting businesses along the way. And private equity investors are working with their portfolio companies and what actions they should take to make sure that they aren't the ones left behind. Um, we were talking just in the studio about the um, returns, like the last decade was the first time that private equity was actually um, overtaken, so to say, by the public markets, at least in the U.S. What are your expectations going forward? Will that be like a real threat to the credibility of the industry? 
Well, we did find in the U.S., the public market returns did beat private equity. And since the financial crisis, the U.S. public markets have had an incredible run. Now, the big question is, what's going to happen over the next decade? And clearly, investors are showing their confidence and voting with their pocketbooks that private equity is going to continue to deliver double-digit returns. While I think the expectations or the likelihood is that the public markets will revert to the long-term average of single digits. Um, talking about returns, though, if you look at the prices private equity has to pay currently, which is obviously also um, the result of the financing conditions, etc., would it not be very um, challenging for them to get to these returns? Prices are at all-time highs. They're high in the U.S., they're very high in Europe, and unfortunately, private equity investors can't afford to wait on the sidelines and expect that prices are going to come down. For all the capital that's coming into the industry, it has to be put to work in a certain amount of time. There's a clock on it. And so for private equity investors, they have to get comfortable paying the high prices for any asset today. And for them, that means that they have to believe that there is growth in any business that they are buying today. The notion that you can just cut costs to get to a good return is largely gone today. Now value creation really needs to come from increasing revenues and expanding margins. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.